Hello, everyone. The reading today is James chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both flesh, fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Thank you, Alec. You can only ask a family member to read something that long. Um, yeah, I wanted you to get the whole picture, though, of what, what James is talking about. Because words can cause a huge amount of pain between people and division in community. And small rumblings can escalate quickly. And we only need to look at our own state of Victoria at the moment to see this, don't we? Last week, when mock gallows were raised up in front of Parliament by protesters who are um, trying to be heard about their point of view on the pandemic powers legislation. There are people who've been speaking out and writing online, trying to get their point of view across for some time. They want so badly to be heard and to win a battle that the protest has moved from civil debate to ridicule of those who don't agree and now to hate speech and even inciting violence. And believe it or not, the people that James is writing to here have a similar problem. They cannot get control of their tongues and it's creating real strife among them. You may have been surprised by the escalation that happens in those two chapters. He starts off in chapter 3, warning the teachers and saying, the tongue uh, is small, but it makes great boasts. By the beginning of chapter 4, why do you fight and quarrel? And by the end, why, how can it be that you are even slandering one another, sitting in judgment on each other? And all of this is not happening just out there, it's happening in the church. Now, I'm not going to take this passage and point the finger and accuse us of the same things because we are actually quite a peaceful community. It's one of the things I love about being here. But it's well worth asking ourselves the question, does, is our speech worthy of the faith that we profess in Christ? And so I invite you to reflect for a moment. I'm pretty sure that everyone here has at one time or other been hurt by someone else's words. We know how it feels to the be, be the butt of a joke or of gossip or someone's anger. And now I want to ask you to think back to the last time that your own words were used at someone else's expense, a careless or angry word gossip even, or lies to make life easier for yourself. 
I've got the feeling, and this is actually based on my own track record, that we don't need to go back very far to remember this. And where are you most likely to struggle to control your words? Are you on your best behaviour here on Sunday and maybe different at home or in the workplace? Have a think about your words. Well, up to this point in the letter, in the last couple of weeks, James has been challenging the church to put their faith into action for the good of others and for the glory of God. And now he says to them, for those same two reasons, watch your words and get control of your tongues. He's going to give them three ways to think about this and to help them do this. But the first one is just simply control your tongues. Shut your mouths, he's saying to them. If you can do that, if you can actually control your tongue and stop hurting people with your words, then your whole body will be in check, he says. It's like when you put bits into the, the mouth of the horse and you can lead it where you want to. Or verse 4, take ships as an example. He says, although they are large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And likewise, the tongue is small but makes great boast. So look, can you just zip it? Now, I'm an extrovert and that's very hard to do. I'm an extrovert and an external processor and the words just often fall out and there they are lying in front of me and they've done the damage. But it's not just extroverts, because introverts have this amazing thing where they can formulate the perfect comeback and let it out. So however you fashion your words, can you try and think or stop yourself or think, will I use my words perhaps to speak good to someone or just hold them back? Is it really possible, the question comes next, to control our whole selves by our tongues? Can we, by sheer grit and determination, resist lashing out? Well, even though James says we ought to do this, he goes straight on to acknowledge that it's very, very difficult because our tongues are unpredictable and even dangerous. It's like trying to restrain a bushfire, which we know about in our country, or taming a wild animal. Have you ever experienced this, that try as you might use spoken words that cannot be taken back? Words that have caused harm or broken trust, words that you regret. Verse 8, no human can tame the tongue, James ends up saying. So if, that, if, you, if you say yes to that, well then that's just true. No human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. It sounds pretty hopeless. Should we give up trying? No, he is actually appealing to them to exercise restraint in the first place. But he wants them to see that it's a short-term remedy. It's sort of superficial, like when you put a temporary pressure bandage over a wound that really needs stitching. Better than nothing in the moment, but no good in the long term if that's all you're going to do. Because the words will eventually spill out, or if they don't, if you bottle them up, my experience is that we'll end up avoiding certain people, freezing them out, putting topics uh, uh, on the shelf, things that we won't talk about. And that's not good for community either, is it? It's harmful. 
I suspect that the church James was speaking to is pretty loose with their words. That's the impression we get. And that we are actually more restrained. But any hurtful words spoken out loud or left unspoken in our hearts and minds will still threaten our worship of God and our unity with one another. And so there are two other things James says about getting control of our tongues that lead to deeper change in us as individuals and a community. But before I get to them, I want to say that if, as I've spoken about controlling your tongue, you recognise in yourself that you really do struggle with that, especially if you have a tendency to hold words and then lash out in anger, I want to say that before we, uh, these two things that I'm going to talk about will help, but the other thing that you need to do is ask someone to support you, to confess it, to say, I really struggle with this. I really struggle with angry words and I need some help. And Peter and I uh, always say that if that is you, we want to support you and not judge you and help you. And that if actually you're on the receiving end of that kind of verbal anger in your home or workplace, we'd like to hear from you too so we can support you. We never want to ask people to stay in situations where words are really harming them. Well, the thing that James goes on to say that we need to understand is that the problem we have our with our tongues, or fingers and thumbs, if we think about the virtual worlds that we speak into, is that they're not actually problems with our tongues and fingers and thumbs. They're problems of the heart. Our heart is connected to our tongues and fingers and thumbs. Not anatomically, if you're a doctor and thinking, what? That's not what I mean, <laughs> of course. But it's a good thing to know this because when we speak words that surprise us in a bad way, we can actually look at the words and use them to diagnose what's going on in our hearts. And this is what James starts to do with the people that he's talking to. So first of all, in verse 10, he says, how can you praise God in one breath and then curse your brothers and sisters. It's like fresh water and salt water coming in the same spring, he says, or um, what does he say? Uh, figs on an olive, olives on a fig's tree and grapes on a fig tree. Anyway, the wrong fruit in the wrong places. It's nonsense. It doesn't make sense. He says, if you truly believe that all people are made in God's image, loved by him, and claim to worship God, then what we will do is seek to love and honour each other, to be kind with our words. We would grow to have a great deal of patience and respect for other views, for other ways of seeing things and doing things. We would be uh, able to be friends with all kinds of people. And then he says, why are you fighting and quarrelling? Why have you got fighting words? He says, because, this is in chapter 4, because in your hearts you're jealous of each other. And coveting, that means you're wanting the stuff that someone else has. And the jealousy eats at you and you end up hating them just because they've got more stuff than you. If you really trust God, can't you trust him to give you what you need, he says. You don't even ask him. The motives in your heart are so mixed up. And finally, right at the end, he said, and what about slander? Putting other people down, speaking badly of them. What does this reveal about the heart? It shows that you are sitting in judgment on others. 
that you want to control the situation, effectively that you are sitting in God's seat. Leave judgment to God. Well, what do your words reveal about your heart? When I was a girl, a young girl, I had a real problem with my tongue that showed something about my heart. See, I could never admit that I was wrong. My parents said it started when I started school because I had a teacher who was really quite mean to us. If you made a mistake, she would either ridicule you or get angry. And she played favourites. I was afraid of her and my little heart longed for her approval and the approval of anyone. And that meant defending myself in all circumstances. It caused a great deal of trouble at home. I lied, I covered up my mistakes, I got good at winning arguments, and I never ever said sorry. Why do you always have to be right, my mum and dad said to me. Why are you so self-righteous? They could have said, why won't you let the truth? Why won't you admit the truth? Why don't you let someone else win this one? And why don't you let Jesus be your righteousness? Now, I can see some of you are looking sad for me. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> it is hard, isn't it, though? The things that happen to us, the, th the way that we're formed, often there are patterns um, in our hearts and in our, uh, that come out in our words. And if you notice that, start to take note and see, why? Why am I doing this? It's important to examine our hearts often to see what's growing there. Is it love for God and others or is it selfish ambition? Our words expose the truth sooner or later. And if you are a teacher in the church, James warns, if you are preaching up the front like me or teaching the kids or the youth or leading a community group, then you need to especially take this seriously because actions and words must line up with our beliefs. And if they don't, we will lead the church astray. Now, the third thing we've got to understand that James is saying about getting control of our speech is it's a spiritual problem and it needs a spiritual solution. You see, you could hear my story about the little girl and the teacher and you could say, why is the teacher doing that? Something's happened too to her that she's like that. Hurt people hurt people. And while that's good to know and psychology is very helpful, what it tells us to is that these things just go on and on and on. And we need another kind of intervention. James says in verse 6, the tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. This is very vivid imagery. And what it captures is that the problem is bigger than just you or I. We might be able to see the issues in our hearts, but we can't solve them on our own. There's a war going on. Did you see the language through that chapter of warring? And we need to make a choice about which side we're going to be on. In chapter 4, verse 7, James says, Submit to God and resist the devil. All through the letter, James talks about sin and the world, and here he talks about worldly wisdom and the devil, and they're like a package deal. They are old influences that try to keep hold of us. 
We don't talk about Satan or the devil too much in our culture. Uh, and you know what? He probably likes it that way. We find it easy to talk about God and his love. But the Bible is clear that the devil, who's sometimes called the father of lies, his words are what hurt us, he continues to tempt us to be like him, to be sly with our words and to cause harm. So we need to resist that. We need to resist the temptation to guard ourselves with our words and instead to submit to God and choose the way of peace. The heavenly wisdom, he calls it. And this will look like listening, admitting wrong, giving and receiving forgiveness from one another. I don't know about you, but as I read and reflect on all this, it feels very hard to achieve, especially if you've been working on something for a long time like I have. And so when we feel how hard it is, what we have to do is take our eyes off ourselves and look to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask you to remember Jesus and how he spoke with compassion to all kinds of people that others judged unworthy or rejected. I want you to think about Jesus, how at his trial he remained completely silent. He shut his mouth as he was um, falsely accused and mocked. I want you to remember him dying on the cross, crying out to God and asking him to forgive us and making it possible right then and there. Jesus is the one who is never at fault in what he says and keeps his whole body in check. And it's only by his power and through his faithfulness that we have any hope for our tongues and hearts to be reformed. And so even though it's very sobering, the encouragement of James to repent in 4 verse 8 is so beautiful. Come near to the Lord, he says, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands and purify your hearts. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And in verse 6 he said, there is always more grace when you come to God. When we come to God like this humbly, when we stop protecting our own interests, needing to win, when we humbly trust God, that is when we find our words and our motivations changing. I want to share a great story with you that I read on Friday um, in Eternity Online magazine about a man named Gavin and his church. Let me read it to you. I think it's a great example of these things. Gavin says, I've been in prison in central Queensland for the last 19 years. I became a born-again Christian at the very beginning of my time here. Perhaps you associate prisons with things that increase your heart rate. There's a lot of unpleasantness in this place. But I want to tell you about a light and a person you might not associate with jail. The light is the light of the gospel and the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. I have seen the wonderful grace of God in prison for nearly two decades. The gospel of Jesus is being preached here by inmates in all its fullness. We share about repentance from, from dead works and then faith towards God. I find that when men respond from the heart in this way, Jesus enters them, heals them physically, emotionally and mentally. He delivers them from demonic oppression 
And then the Holy Spirit fills them and begins the transformation process. I've seen men completely laid out on the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit as they're being healed. I've seen hardened men weep freely as the Spirit of God moves upon their hearts. I've seen Jesus turn brutality and hatred into passion and zeal for the kingdom of God and righteousness. These men who were so broken have become some of the most loving, generous and joyful people in this place. And the entire time I've been here, there has always been a core group of committed believers who love Jesus and one another sincerely. Jesus is planting and building his church in prison and God has always supplied what is needed. The church here experiences unity and love for other in unique ways. And one reason is we can't run from the uncomfortable parts of organic church life and fellowship. If there's conflict between brothers, there's no option to go down the street and find a new church because there isn't one. We're forced to face the hard truth about ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to change us and conform us into the image of Christ. We have to die daily to our pride and forgive each other. But what we find on the other side of the tough stuff is real unity, real love, and God commanding a blessing upon it. Like it says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Absolutely inspiring stuff, I think. Not just a neutrality of words, a politeness, but a passion and zeal and words that don't harm but heal. The power of sin, of childhood patterns, of the devil himself are in the end no match for the righteousness of God that we have in Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came upon those quiet and afraid disciples and they opened their mouths and what came out but life-giving words of the gospel, the news about Jesus. When we seek the heavenly wisdom of God, it will not just help us keep the peace, it will transform us into people who offer God's peace to others. Now, if you've come to church today seeking peace, I really hope that you will find it here, that we are that kind of community. We do struggle in all kinds of ways to be like Jesus, but we come each week to humble ourselves before him and ask him to put in our hearts and mouths words that are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, merciful, fruitful, impartial and sincere. If that's not what you find, let's talk about it because we all need to keep learning from one another. One of the things that has really helped me since I was a child desiring to always be right and liked by others is the example of people in the church. When I was in my 20s, I met um, a friend called Kate and we grew a beautiful, really great friendship. We got on really well, but we were both um, prone to argue and fight. And the difference between her and me is that when I said, you said this and you did this and it hurt me, she would immediately apologise and say, I don't want to hurt you, would you forgive me? And I was healed from a lot of the stuff that I was carrying through her. 
It's not just a vague idea. It's embodied in the people of God. If you've been around church for a long time, I want to encourage you to keep living out this peace and the welcome of God for my sake and all our sakes and for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Lord God, Lord Jesus, we do love you and remember the sacrifice you've made for us and the power you have to transform us and our words. We long to be a community of healing and not harm. And so we pray, continue to help us to love one another, even when it's difficult, to speak peace and to be patient. Help us to do it for your glory and because we know what it's like, because you've been like this with us. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.